One year ago today, I was here and you were not. I was standing right here preaching to a camera so somehow, someway, we could get the word of the Lord to you. Not knowing what was going to happen with the uh, outbreak of the COVID-19 virus, uh, we were told that it was going to be extremely severe and didn't know what turn the virus would take. And so a week earlier, we had met together and we had began a series called Abolishing Anxiety. The week before that, we had just arrived back from Israel, and we were one of the last planes to leave Israel because they had kicked everybody else out of that nation. And so as we were coming back, we had been in Jordan, not knowing all that had taken place here in the United States because we were in Petra, and we were doing things about the end times and the arrival of the Lord, and next thing we know, we're on a plane coming home, and there's nobody in the airport in Tel Aviv, and we arrive here, and things have changed. Things have never been the same since we got back from Israel a year ago. But on this Sunday, this weekend, a year ago, we wanted to get the word of the Lord to you because they had basically closed everything down. They had gone from meetings of 200 to 150 to 100, down to 50, down to 25, and then said, you know what, nobody meets at all because we don't know what's going to happen with this COVID virus. Well, a year later, here we are. We're gathering together to worship the Lord a lot has transpired over this past year. And, and the book has yet to be finalized on the year of COVID. I think that once the truth is known, I think a lot of things will be exposed. A lot of error will be exposed, but that's another sermon for another day. But the bottom line is that things have changed drastically for people's lives. A lot of you have gone through some very difficult times over the year. That's why we did a 17-week series on abolishing anxiety, knowing that you'd face all kinds of anxious thoughts throughout the, the year, and you did. Some of you lost loved ones. Some of you experienced sickness. Others lost their jobs. And it was a difficult time for students who were unable to go to school and experience their senior year or their junior year or their graduation or whatever might have come about that time for them. But needless to say, things changed drastically in one year. With all the, the lockdowns and all the edicts and all the mandates that took place, outside of all that, my greatest concern was not necessarily what was happening with our government or what was happening even with the virus. My biggest concern was what was happening in the church. What was going on with the people of the church? How, how was the church responding? What was God doing in the life of his church? That was my biggest concern. And that's what I've been watching very closely over the last year to see what was taking place in people's lives. What was happening with churches, not just in, in California, but all throughout our country and literally around, around the world. What was God doing in people's lives? What was God doing in assemblies' lives? What was God doing through his church and in his church? Very important. 
And I think about that, and I, I realize some of the churches became like Ephesus. They became cold and complacent. Other churches became like Thyatira. They began to compromise. Other churches became like Pergamum. They, they became more and more corrupt. Other churches like Laodicea, the fact that they were counterfeits, have been exposed. Other churches like Sardis are like a corpse. They're dead. And as the Lord would write to those churches, calling them to repentance, that they might come to understand the beauty of his presence. There is so much to learn from those churches. And yet God was doing a work in us. God was doing a work in a multitude of churches around our country. And uh, as I was reading the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where he says, For I am jealous for you, he's talking to the church at Corinth, with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Paul was concerned about the church. How easily the church could be deceived. How it could be led astray. Away from the simplicity and purity of their devotion to the Lord Jesus. And I think that if truth be known, every one of us would want to understand that we don't want to be deceived. We, we want to follow the Lord. And Paul's concern was for the churches. And in verse 28 of 2 Corinthians 11, he talks about how, how his deep concern was for all the churches. It was way beyond all of his beatings. It was way beyond all the shipwrecks he experienced and the snake bites and the imprisonments. The, the greatest concern for him was the health of the church. Would the church be able to stand strong? Would the church be able to, to live through persecution and hardship? Would it be able to be able to be a light of revelation to those who so desperately need to hear the truth? Paul's greatest concern was the church. And rightly so. And so it should be our greatest concern as, as well. So as we look back over this year, what has taken place in the church? What has 2020 done to show us the true condition of the church? Because that's basically what's happened. The Lord has shown down upon the church and exposed many, many things in churches all around the country. Question is, are they looking? Are they watching? Are they listening? Do they know? But I think that if you, if you listen to what the Lord has impressed upon me over the last several weeks, over the last several months, even the last year, I think that if we were all honest with ourselves, we can begin to see these things happening in churches all around us, even 
to some degree, even in our church. And that we should be careful not to be deceived by Satan so that we would be led away from the simplicity and purity of our relationship with the Lord. You know, one of the pitfalls of the church has been a pitfall from the very beginning, and that is the silence of the church. And people have mistaken silence by the church as love for the community, as respect for the government. That is not true. In fact, it was the silence of Adam that led the world into sin. Adam did not speak up when he was with Eve because he was with her when she partook of the apple. Adam said nothing. Adam did nothing. And the whole world was plunged into sin. The church must speak up. The church must tell the truth. The church must not be silent. That's why we gather together. That's why we meet together. Because our desire is to honor our Lord and be a testimony for the sake of the gospel. There are some churches that have not yet even met together over an entire year. Some just went back this weekend. How, how does that happen? Think about this with me for a second. We have heard over and over again how all the students in school have been affected greatly because they could not go to class. It's affected them mentally. It's affected them emotionally. It's affected them intellectually. It's put them further and further behind, and, and, and it has done that. And yet they were able to zoom in on their classes, right? And so they were able to, whether they paid attention or not, who knows, right? But they were at least able to zoom in on the classroom experience. But that, that, that did not suffice. That did not take the place of them gathering together with the people in their age group, with their teachers, experiencing all that would take place in a normal year of school. Think about that. And we have read and heard of the increase in child abuse, the increase in sexual abuse, the increase in drug abuse, the increase in alcoholism over the entire year. And the, and the book has not yet been written on the effects of all that. And I think that in, in, in months and years down the road, when all that comes out, you're going to begin to see more and more of all the horrendous aspects that took place because of this past year. Now, I want you to translate that over to the church. 
and not being in church for a year. If you don't think that affects you spiritually, you're wrong. If you don't think that affects you mentally, you're wrong. If you don't think it affects you emotionally, you're wrong. You can't miss church for that long and it not affect you. Can't. And you can live stream it. You can zoom it in. You can have your coffee, sit by your bed, watch the, sing the singing, or even sing along. It's just not the same. If it was the same, listen, let's sell the building, let's close the door, I'll record a sermon every week, and that's, let's just have church that way. It was never designed to be that way. Never. And yet that's become the accepted norm for many, many people. And they have no idea how Satan has deceived them. And slowly but surely, they have slipped away from the purity and devotion they have to the Christ. They don't even know it. We can't sit back and say, yeah, all those poor students, they weren't able to go to class because they've been affected tremendously. Without saying, those people who have not been to church in a year, that it hasn't affected them. Worse. Because it has. And we make excuses. They're, they're called medical excuses. They're called um, physical excuses as to why we don't go to church. As if God accepts that. Do you actually think God really accepts that? By saying, you know what, yeah, I understand, you, you might get sick. Don't, don't worship. In fact, you know what, I'm going to allow you to disobey one of my commands because you might get sick. Do we actually believe that? I mean, if God says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, and yet I willingly forsake the assembling of myself together because I might get sick, what am I telling God? You know what you're telling God? God, you're not powerful enough to protect me. God, you're not good enough to sustain me. You're telling God that God can't do what God's designed to do. You're denying the power and the ministry of Almighty God. Why is it we can't say, Lord, I don't want to disobey a command. Lord, I'm going to go to church. And Lord, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to protect me. I'm going to ask you, Lord, to watch over me. I'm going to ask you, Lord, to, to protect my family because I don't want to forsake the assembling together with the body. So, Lord, I'm going to ask you to protect us. Why can't we trust God to do that? We trust God for other things. You trust God for your salvation to save you from hell. You don't think he can protect you and save you from a virus? You see, this is really, really deep on my heart. Not just because I'm a pastor, but because I really am concerned about people's lives. 
And I'm concerned about the body of Christ. And I'm concerned about how God has designed his body to interact one with another. To be able to love one another and serve one another and honor one another. And to be a part of all the different one another's of scripture. And to be able to embrace one another. So important when it comes to understanding the body of Christ. God never decided, designed the body to be disjointed. He never designed the body for the arm to exist in one city and the rest of the body to exist in another city. He wants it all to be together as one body, worshiping and honoring the Lord. So, having said that, let me begin this week, because this is part one, can't get it all done in one week. Just can't. Wish I could. Unless you want to be here all day. If you want to be here all day, that's fine. But here, here's the bottom line. Listen, point number one is this. The church's perception of God has diminished. The church's perception of God has diminished. We don't see God the same way. Or maybe we never really saw him the right way to begin with. Do we see God as sovereign over everything? Do we see God as sovereign over life and death? Because in all reality, we do think we can extend our life by eating properly and by exercising and wearing masks and social distancing, that we can literally live longer. You can't. Who told you that? You're watching too much TV. Too much news because you're not in this book because here it says it's God who gives life. It's God who puts to death. He said that you can't add one cubit to your life. Take no thought for tomorrow. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Just trust me. Just believe in me. I am the sovereign God of the universe who controls everything who's in charge of everything. He is providentially working out every aspect of every single day. And so we trust him for those things. Not only is he sovereign, he is holy. He truly is the holy God. And he is, because he's so holy, we should live in the fear of God all day long. The book of Proverbs tells us, Proverbs chapter 23. In Proverbs 28, it says we're to live in the fear of God always. Solomon said the end of everything is summed up this way. Fear God and keep his commandments. If you see God as a holy God, you will fear him. You will fear him enough to keep his commandments. The book of Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet said this, Isaiah 8, verse number 13, it is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy. He shall be your fear. He shall be your dread. Then he shall become your sanctuary. Unless you dread the Lord God of Israel, unless you live in the fear of the Lord God of Israel, how can it be your protection? 
How can he be your sanctuary? How can he be that place where you are shielded? The place of his presence. That is so important. And yet somehow, over the year, we've come to realize that most people perceive God so differently than what he really is in Scripture. They've kind of, they, they've, they've kind of um, created a different kind of God in their own image, like Romans chapter 1. And that we, we expect God to do certain things, and when he doesn't, then we're not very pleased with him. Or like the Israelites did when they expected the Lord to come into Jerusalem and, and set up his kingdom and rule and reign from the throne of his father David, but when he didn't, they, they crucified him because he didn't do what they expected him to do. And we have come to a place in, in Christianity where we expect God to do our bidding, to follow our desires. But that's not the way God is. He is a holy God. He is a sovereign God. He is a just God. And God has used the virus for his purposes. And I think and I do believe he's used the virus to expose many, many counterfeit people in the pews of many churches around the world. When you look at the scriptures and you realize that the Lord God of Israel says in Isaiah 66, verse number two, to this man will I look, to him who is broken and of a contrite heart and who trembles at my word. I'm looking for people to shake uncontrollably in the authority of my word. But for most people, they just, they just don't. They don't take God's word serious. And yet, Psalm 115.11 says, You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. In other words, how do you know someone's trusting in the Lord? They fear him. Because they fear him, they wrap themselves around him. They trust what he says. They trust what he's going to do because they fear the Lord. Psalm 119.74, May those who fear thee see me and be glad because I wait for thy word. May those who fear thee see me and be ecstatic because I'm the one who trusts in your word and that I'm going to cause them to be excited because I'm trusting you, because I fear you. And so for those who, who fear thee, they're going to see me, they're going to be glad because they too are trusting in you. Do you, do you really trust the Lord? We just, we just throw that out as if it just means whatever it means, but not really depend and trust in the Lord God of Israel. Do we trust him for our lives? Do we trust him for our health? Do we trust him for our growth? Do we trust him for our family? 
Do we trust him in everything? Well, listen, if you fear him, you do. And the reason you fear him is because he truly is a holy God. And he is your dread. And you should shake uncontrollably every time you open the word of God because God means what he says. He does. But I think that there's a lot of people in churches all around our country who really don't take God serious. And they really don't think that God's going to do what he says he's going to do. When those Greeks came to Philip, they said, sir, we, we wish to see Jesus. I need to see Jesus. When you come here, this is about his holy word. It's not about Hollywood. When you come here, it's about doctrine. You will get no drama. When you come here, you need to be enlightened because you will not be entertained. When you come here, you will be instructed because we want you to know what God's word says. And if you're instructed, you will be inspired by the truth of God's word. And so we want you to understand that. We want you to realize and embrace the God of the universe. In John 14, verse number 21, the Lord said these words. He who has my commandments and keeps them. In other words, he has the word of the Lord. He lives in obedience to the word of God. This person is the one who loves me. How do I know you love God? The same way you know I love God. I hear his word and I keep his word. And Jesus said, the one who has my commandments and keeps them, this is the one who loves me. And then he says this, and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and I will disclose myself to him. In other words, I will manifest myself. I will unveil myself to him. I will make sure that he clearly sees me for who I am. That's why the Lord said in Matthew 5, verse number 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We want you to come to church and see God because God inhabits the praises of his people. When you come to church, we want you to see God because when the body functions together as one, it becomes a composite picture of Christ. And so when each of you exercises his or her gift and they're involved in serving the body, serving one another, whoever comes to the church now sees the working of God among his people. And when God's word is open, you see him. If God's word's not open, if God's word is not read, you'll never see him. No matter how beautiful the music might be, no matter how outlandish the drama might be, you just can't see him unless you open the revelation 
of the word of God. For this is where he's revealed. That you might understand who he is and, and what he has done. It was King Jehoshaphat who said, Lord, we have no power against this great army. And we do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. That prayer is the most significant prayer because it tells us that Jehoshaphat knew he was outnumbered when Israel's armies came against him. He knew he had no strength in and of himself to defeat the armies. Lord, we don't know what to do. Our eyes are upon you. That should be the cry of every family through 2020. Lord, we don't know what to do about this virus. We don't know what to do about these draconian mandates passed down by the governor. Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. We want to see you. We want to see you in your glory and your splendor. We want to see you as sovereign. We want to see you as holy. We want to see you as just. We want to see you as loving and merciful. We want to see you for who you are, Lord. Our eyes are only on you. No one else and nothing else. Because, Lord, we fear only you. Jehoshaphat only feared the Lord. He didn't fear the armies that came against him, but he did fear the Lord. Lord, we don't know what to do, so our eyes are upon you. We have no answer for this. So they organized the choir, and the choir sang, and they win the battle. Model of that story is get a good choir, sing some songs, you win. And so the, the, for, for Jehoshaphat, it was all about seeing the Lord God of Israel. But I'm afraid that the churches around the globe, their perception of God is minimal. They don't see him for who he is, the almighty God of the universe, the all-powerful God who rules and reigns over everything. That he's in complete control. He's in charge of all things. And there's nothing that he's not in charge of. The problem is the people in the church see sickness, but they don't see the God who heals the sick. They see death, but they don't see the God who controls death because he holds the keys to death in Hades. And slowly but surely, like Eve, they've been deceived. And they slowly move away from the purity and devotion to the Christ but it begins with your view of the living God. It was A.W. Tozer in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, who said that man, man's religion will never be greater than his view of the living God. 
who and how you perceive him to be will determine how you live every single day. And the only way you're going to know that is through his word. There's no other way to know it. Because God has made himself known in his word. So, the church's perception of God is diminished. Why is that? Why is that? Stay tuned, and I'll tell you. Point number two. The church's adoration of God is depreciated. If my perception of God is wrong, then my worship of God will be wrong. And the church's adoration of God has depreciated. In other words, it has lessened in value. In other words, we no longer honor God as he is to be honored. We no longer esteem him as he is to be esteemed. So therefore, the church's worship of God is nothing like it should be. Unlike any other time in the history of my life, which is 62 years, unlike any other time, I have let, and you have let, and the church has let other people affect their worship. Unlike any other time in the history of my existence and of this generation, our worship of God has become affected. There are churches today that still don't meet together. There are churches today that if they meet together, they're still outside. And believe me, there's nothing wrong with being outside. As long as it's nice and warm, I like being outside. I don't have a problem with that. But there are churches today that, that require everybody that comes to wear a mask. They won't let you through the door unless you wear a mask. Soon they're not going to let you through the door unless you have a vaccine. In other words, they are dictating whether or not you can worship with them and whether or not you're fit to worship with them. Is it wrong to get a vaccine? No. I'm not one of those anti-vaxxer guys. Is it wrong to wear a mask? No, I'm not an anti-mask guy. But once you start requiring people to do all that stuff, for the very first time, people can't even go to church without putting all these external requirements on them. Needless to say, they have forgotten all about the internal responsibility that they have to the living God to have a clean and consecrated heart before him. They're worried about what's going on on the outside. Now what's going on on the inside? There's some churches that, that when they meet, they, they, they got to make sure everybody's six feet apart. Well, that whole, that, whole, that whole thing's changed. Now it's three feet. I'm like, come on, people. You see, the only thing that's been consistent throughout COVID are the inconsistencies of our government. 
That's the only thing that's been consistent. Everything has been so inconsistent when it comes to social distancing, when it comes to gatherings, when it comes to masks, when it comes to vaccinations. When it comes, just, there's just no consistency there. And you know where that is, don't you? It's because whenever you lie, you've got to keep picking up the pieces. If you tell the truth, you can maintain consistency. But if you lie, you're filled with inconsistencies because you've got to keep covering the last problem. That's just so sad. And, and the church, the church... We are, to, we are to be the discerning ones, right? We, we are to be the ones that truly understand what love really is. We know that our adoration of God flows from a love for him. You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength. You name it, with all that you have. There's a great intensity there. There's great intimacy there. There is so much passion that's there. We're to love God with all that we have because our love for God determines how it is we love our fellow man. But be careful because the church has let the world define how we now love. The world now has defined how we now care for other people. And the world can't do that because their motives are always selfish. But God can. The God of love can define what love is. The God who is compassionate can, can define what compassion is. But once you begin to depend upon the media to define for you what love is, what care is, you have been deceived and you've been led away from the purity and devotion to Christ. You must be so very careful. That's why over in the book of Philippians, Paul says these words, I pray that your love may abound. How? In real knowledge and discernment. Love cannot abound without knowledge. Knowledge of what? The knowledge of God. And with the knowledge of God comes a discerning spirit. An opportunity to be able to discern between what is right and what is wrong, what is pure and what is evil. It comes because you know God who is the God of love. The church, the church in America has been defined as haters of people if they don't do what the world says. Well, you must hate people's health if you don't social distance and wear a mask and get a vaccine. Because if you love them, you'd get a vaccine. If you love them, you'd wear a mask. If you love them, you'd keep your distance. And now, they hate the world. I mean, the, the world hates the church. You have no respect for the government because you don't do what the governor says. 
No. If you truly love the governor, you're going to tell the governor the truth. You won't just be silent and just follow every whim of the governor. Romans 13 is against that. God's against that. Our Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, embodies love, right? He's, for God to love the world, they sent his only begotten son, right? His son embodies love. And he was hated by more people than you can shake a stick at. Everybody hated Jesus. But was he loving? Not according to the world, he wasn't. So who are you going to believe? The Pharisees? The Sadducees? The Israelites? Are you going to believe Jesus? Because he was hated by everybody. So much so they killed him. They crucified him. And people say, well, the church isn't loving because they don't do this or they don't do that the way we want them to do it. Tom Askell and Jared Longshore wrote a book called Strong and Courageous. And in there, he, he gives this illustration. He says, we have heard many Christian leaders say something like this. We decided that the most loving thing we could do was wear a mask. We decided just to love our neighbor during this season and just not meet together as a church. He says, our response was this. We decided to love our neighbor and assemble together as a church. What could be more loving to your neighbors than to keep up the public worship of the God who gives life to his people? Defying tyrants is not only a way, excuse me, defying tyrants is not only a way to love fellow citizens, it's actually a way to love the tyrants themselves. Anytime people with authority abuse their authority, a loving person will tell them. How much do you have to hate someone to let him go on ruling as a tyrant? Many Christians across America have objected to various kinds of arbitrary civil orders. Pastors have been fined, Christians have been threatened, and some arrested. If we are not careful, we can think that those who object are the defying tyrant kind of Christians, and those who comply are the peace-loving, gentle, humble, and gracious kind of Christians. But that is entirely wrong-headed. Those believers who have respectfully and humbly protested injustices from civil magistrates have been the ones who have truly shown love. We cannot say that those who have remained silent about criminal overreach from government authorities have been loving we can only say that they've been silent and being silent is not loving. He's spot on. That's why we said when we come in here, 
This is not a revolution. It is a revelation. We are not here to revolt against anything or anybody. We are here to do what? To reveal God. We can't reveal him in his clearest picture without assembling together. That's how God's designed the church. The body of Christ, the household of God, the family of God, that's what the bride is. The bride gathers together to show the bridegroom. That's what they do. And yet, so many people have forfeited the opportunity to worship and adore their God simply because of some excuse that they've deemed as loving when in all reality it's the most unloving thing they could have ever done. Now I know I'm not making many friends today. I understand that. But I am going to tell you the truth. Because love never rejoices in wrongdoing. It only rejoices in what? The truth. 1 Corinthians 13, 8. It never rejoices in doing the wrong thing. It always rejoices in telling the truth. God's truth. God's way. That's what we do. So we need to understand that. That's why we, we want our, our love to grow, to abound. It has to grow in real knowledge. And that knowledge helps us be discerning between what is right and what is wrong. I said earlier, silence is not loving. We must speak truth. We must help people understand who God is and what he's done and what he requires of his people. And that becomes a supreme testimony. So number one, the church's perception of God has diminished. Why is that? Number two, the church's adoration of God has depreciated. That's the natural byproduct of that. But why? Number three, the church's devotion to God has become disestablished. What was once what we thought established has now become disestablished. Man's commitment, man's devotion. If you don't adore God, you're not going to be committed to him. And you can't adore him unless you see him as he really is. And if you see him as he really is, you'll fear him. You'll stand in awe of him. You will fear him. He will be your dread. And you will worship him in the beauty of his person. And you'll maintain your commitment. But the church's devotion to God has become disestablished. We've become more enamored with the physical than the spiritual. We become more enamored with the temporal rather than the eternal. Have you ever noticed that the year of COVID has helped you realize, what can I do to survive? What can I do to live? And our focus has been on the here and now. 
our focus has not been on the then and there. Our focus has been my physical life, not my spiritual life. My, my, my focus has been temporally, not eternally. The future, what does God have for me? That's because my devotion to him has slowly but surely become disestablished. My commitment has waned because like Eve, we've been deceived and we've been led away from our purity and devotion to the Christ. And we have to be very, very careful about that. It's important to understand that as we, we look at the word of the Lord, you know, we have a whole generation of kids who have grown up on youth group skits and entertainment and fun and games. So when they come to a time like this, they're unable to stand because they don't know how to. We've taught them how to have fun, how to enjoy life, but have we taught them how to enjoy the true and living God? Most of us would have a hard time understanding the Apostle Paul when these words were spoken in Acts chapter 20. <clears throat> Paul says this in verse 22 of Acts 20. And now, behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying, bonds and afflictions await me. That's all I know. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Paul says, you know, I have no idea what's going to happen to me when I get to Jerusalem. The Spirit did say that bonds and afflictions await me. So at least I have that news before I go. But outside of that, I really don't know what's going to happen. But nevertheless, I don't count my life as that important. See, the problem with us is that we're not like that. We count our lives as so important that we want to do all we can to preserve our lives. Paul's going to give his life away. Why? He's already been crucified with Christ. I'm already dead to myself. I've taken on my cross daily. I'm following the Christ. That's what I want to do. Nothing else really matters. If I die, I die. But I'm going to die finishing what God's called me to do. No matter what. So when you go over to Acts chapter 21, Agabus had come down and, and given a prophecy about what was going to happen to the Apostle Paul. He takes Paul's hands and binds his feet in his hands in verse 11. This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And we had heard this as we, 
when we had heard this, we as well as the local residents began begging him not to go to Jerusalem. Don't do this, Paul. Don't go to Jerusalem. If they're going to bind you, if they're going to throw you in prison, why would you even go there? Then Paul answered and said, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent, remarking, the will of the Lord be done. Paul says, don't weep for me. Why are you crying? I know this is going to come. I know this is going to happen. It's, it's, it's okay. Paul, don't do this. Why would you risk your life? Why would you risk your life and go to church? God said so. That's why. But see, we're not like Paul. Paul had this unique conversion experience, and Paul was an apostle, and, and Paul wrote 13 epistles, and I'm just Joe Schmo's Christian, but this is the apostle Paul here. But we have people that won't even come to church because they might die. They probably won't, but they think they might. Versus the apostle Paul who knew he'd be bound and imprisoned, but saying, don't weep for me. This is what I got to do. This is what God's called me to do, to be obedient to his word. And Paul's devotion and commitment to the Lord never waned. It was strong. And you read about him, you say, well, yeah, but he was, he was different. No, he's not different than you and me. Just like you and me. But he trusted his God. He feared his God. He had a proper perception of the living God. He saw him as all-powerful. He saw him as omniscient. He saw him as omnipresent. So he was with him wherever he went. He knew whatever was going to happen because it had been written down way before he was ever born. And he was powerful enough to take Paul through whatever circumstance came his way. He did not shy away. And because of that, he feared the true and living God. And so that he would worship him in spirit and in truth because that's what God demands that we do. We worship him in spirit and in truth, and so he does. And his devotion never waned. Completely committed. And yet, through one virus, one that's affected the globe. The church has been exposed as to how they see God, what they believe about God, how they trust in God, whether or not they're devoted to God, and whether or not they love God more than their own lives. And for that, we are grateful. Because at least now, we know what to say. At least now we know what to do. At least now we can wake up and say, as the Lord said to the church of Sardis, wake up. Wake up. 
And the church needs to wake up and understand their call and how God wants to use them in a most powerful way. This is the greatest time to be a Christian. This is the best time to live for Christ. A time none of us has faced as of yet till now. And probably we'll only get worse, not better. It's the best of times to represent our king. Don't you want to put God on display as the all-powerful God of the universe? Don't you want to put God on display as a God who knows everything, who is sovereign, who providentially works out everything according to his own perfect plan? Who rules over all, and we are subject to his rulership so that those around us in the world will know that they are accountable to the same revelation that we are? Because they're, they're held accountable to the same God that we are? If we don't show them that, how will they ever see it? How will they ever know it? So we demonstrated to them so that he would see these Christians, these people, they have a king. And that king rules their lives. What is it about their king that makes him so unique that they will do whatever he says no matter what? That's the way we should live our lives. But we're not done yet. And next week, we'll pick it up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity today to, to look at our own lives. And to be honest, Lord, it's an examination of my own heart and my own life. To how I lead my family. And how I, with the elders, lead this church. I pray, Lord, that as leaders, we'd be men who fear only God and no one else. We fear the one who kills body and soul in hell. We don't fear the one who can only kill our bodies. We fear you because we've seen you for who you are. We understand the reality of the living God. At the same time, Lord, not only do we see you, we adore you. We love you. Because we've seen you for who you are, we can't help but love you. And because we love you, we want to be 100% devoted to only you. Oh, Lord, let there be nothing steal our affection and adoration of you. May we not be deceived and be led away from the simplicity and purity of our devotion to Christ. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.